That is our prayer, that we would be able to know that God is near. We're we're in a series, uh, this is the second week, going through the Old Testament story of Esther. And I got a couple questions for you as we start out. Uh, If I were just to meet you, and I were to ask you, who are you? What defines you? And you only had three minutes to tell me all about you. What would you tell me? What would you say, this is... What defines me? This is who I am. And you only had three minutes to do so. You're giving me the highlight reel. Who are you? What are your defining moments? What's your identity and what shapes your identity? And then I had a thought this week. What if 10 years from now, if we all make it, 10 years from now, you and I were to sit down with someone much younger than us and in the year 2030 and they asked us, Tell us about 2020. Tell us about what's happened. It's in our history books. We've read about it, but tell us about it. Would we look back 10 years from now on 2020 and say, it was terrible. It was so bad. Or maybe, could we say, it was transforming. It was a redefining moment in our lives in our homes, in our, in our churches, in our world? What if we could look back 10 years from now on this year and not just say it was terrible, but it was transformative? Maybe we wouldn't just waste the moments we find ourselves in. Maybe we wouldn't waste the pain, waste the uncertainty, Act as if it's meaningless and out of control, but we would lean in to what God is doing. Maybe we wouldn't be paralyzed in a season, but we would be proactive in a season, saying, God, redefine me, redefine us and what is going on. Redefining moments have these components that that I'm going to talk about today. They, They have components of showing up of standing up, of speaking up. There, there's those showing up moments like in life when, when maybe it's just, it's, it's the birth of a child and, and I'm a dad, I showed up, I'm there. And maybe it's a sickness in the family, a sickness of a friend and, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and there's opportunities to keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up. Maybe it's a tragedy, a difficult relationship And we just make the choice. I may not have all the words to say, but I'm going to keep on showing up. Or maybe it's a stand-up kind of moment. Maybe you've been avoiding a difficult conversation or you had been avoiding a difficult conversation and you're like, I just have to stand up. I have to stand up for truth. I have to stand up in this moment. And maybe you faced that difficult conversation. You had that difficult conversation and maybe it saved the relationship. Or maybe it ended the relationship. Either way, it became a redefining moment of your life. Or it's a speak up kind of a moment. It's a speak up kind of moment where where, where it's about time you you say that thing that you've been holding back. It's it's about time you, you speak up for the sake of someone else, not just for the sake of yourself. And it becomes a redefining moment in your life. Life. That's, that's what we want to look at today in the story of Esther. Last week, we launched into this series uh, that Esther's a real story, a true historical story with a, a king named Xerxes, who was a king in Persia. 
Many, many years ago, real king, real land, real events. There's two main characters of the story of Esther, Esther and her cousin Mordecai. Esther becomes the queen. And it's this interesting story that in all 10 chapters of the story of Esther, God is not mentioned by name anywhere. And yet we realize sometimes God is most active where he seems most absent. But it's a complicated story of of a woman and a man who are complex characters. They don't always get it right. We're not always sure what their motives are. It's a little bit messy. And yet God is faithful all the way through. And it's a reminder in times when you don't know what to do that it's okay to pray, I don't know. But we can also add to that prayer, I don't know, but I do know God knows and I trust him. And it's an invitation to trust the providence, the, the guiding, directing hand of God in this world. So I want to launch in and, 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 and catch us up with some things. When you get to the end of chapter two, here's what happens. Mordecai, coincidentally, which there's a lot of those God coincidences in Esther, he overhears a conversation. There's a conspiracy. Two men are going to try to assassinate King Xerxes. Mordecai reports this to Queen Esther, who takes this to the king, and they indeed were going to do that. They're caught in the assassination. They are, it's stopped. The two men are punished. They're impaled on poles. They die. Mordecai, his name is written in the record of the king. This is what he did, and yet he's forgotten. He's overlooked. It's one of those moments, like, I don't know if you've ever been overlooked in life. A lot lot of us would say, yeah, we know what that's like. It's not good. It's not fun. He's Overlooked in a moment, but hint, hint, we'll get to something next week. He's not completely forgotten. As Mordecai is overlooked, a man named Haman rises through the ranks of Xerxes' administration to become the second in charge, the vice president of all of Persia. Now, Haman's a wicked man. He's a wicked ruler, and and we don't even know why necessarily he rose to rank, but, but it's one of those kinds of things where Mordecai is disgusted with this man. He wants nothing to do with him. It's, it's one of those kinds of things. If he's going to be in charge, I'm getting out of here. Not that any of us would ever say anything like that, right? And Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman when Haman comes to the city gates, although the king had ordered that Haman and officials like him should be bowed to when they approach the gates. And so people told Haman, ooh, Mordecai doesn't bow when you come into the gates. And Haman was furious. How could he disrespect me? How could he treat me like that? Again, we don't know the details. We don't know if Haman uh, deserved to be or didn't deserve to be. We don't know if Mordecai should have honored the one who was in charge or should not have. It's complicated. But what we do know is when Haman finds out Mordecai refuses to bow, he's furious and he decides not just to go after Mordecai, but to go after all of his people because he finds out Mordecai's a Jew. And that age-old story that marks our scripture from beginning to end of racist and, and ethnic struggle, mainly the Jewish people, is played out once again in human history when Haman convinces King Xerxes to sign an edict to destroy all the Jewish people. Because he says, Xerxes, they're against you. They have ways that are not our ways. They're not like us. And somehow Xerxes is convinced, get rid of those people. 
It's a defining moment again for the nation of Israel and for Jewish people. When you get to chapter four, I would invite you to turn there to Esther chapter four. And I would also invite you, read this beautiful story. Read it slowly. Read it for its detail. I'm flying over some beautiful things right now. But you get to chapter four, verse one, in the midst of a horrible situation. And here's what we're going to have to find out. How does Mordecai respond when everything in the world is against him? When the politics of his nation are conspiring to destroy his people? How does he respond? In anger? just like everybody else. Does he lash back out? What does he do? Esther chapter four, verse one. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This is a picture of a, of a nation of people in deep, deep mourning. Instead of that instinctual response being to get angry, to demand their rights, they knew they weren't in power and they did the thing God invited his people to do time and time again in seasons of great, great disruption. God says, come to me in prayer, in mourning, in fasting, in weeping and wailing. That was a time where that was the appropriate response to turn to God because things were out of their own control, to turn to God in both repentance and for renewal and say, God, we need you. I think our nation is in one of those kinds of seasons right now where God's people are invited not just to get angry, but to turn to God in fasting and in praying and in mourning and in grieving as never before saying, God, will you do what only you can do? Mordecai does this. He leads the people to do this. Mordecai then reaches out to Esther through one of her servants and says, Esther, you, you're the queen. You've got to go to the king. You, you've got to beg him for mercy. You've got to ask him to, to intervene. Esther replies, I can't just walk in before the king. Nobody can come before the king uninvited or they can be killed. And she's like, it's been 30 days since I've seen him. I can't just show up. I'll risk my life if I do that. Mordecai receives the words from Esther's people. Verse 12 when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? But that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 
Mordecai's words to Esther are, are both a warning and alarm, and yet they're also filled with hope that God will still save, even if not from Esther. He, he, he addresses Esther and, and Mordecai says, you just need to know it's a risk-risk situation. If you speak up, it's risky. If you stay quiet, it's risky. But, but Esther, here's what he says, but Esther, who knows? Like maybe, just maybe, you are right where you are in your royal position in that circumstance for such a time as this. Mordecai saying, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the answers, but maybe, just maybe, who knows that, that, that God has you right where you are today. This is true of you. This is true for me. Maybe, just maybe, God has you right where you are in circumstances you don't like, in situations you despise, in moments of life that are challenging and you don't know what to do. Maybe, just maybe, who knows? God has you right where you are for such a time as this, around the people that you are around, in the job, in the house, for such a time as this. And Mordecai says, who knows? Who knows? Esther, you got to do something. I heard a pastor this, just the other day say that we're living in a disruption, but part of God's invitation to us is what if we disrupt the disruption? <laughs> well, what if we don't just passively go through and accept everything that comes our way and say, okay, there's nothing we could do, but what if we leaned in as never before? And what if we experienced this, whatever this is for you, as a redefining moment of our lives? We're not helpless. We're not helpless. We're not hopeless. And, and, and God is at work regardless of whether we're at work or not. And God is at work regardless of whether or not we see him at work. So what if we did what only we could do? Who knows, Esther? Who knows? Maybe just maybe you're right where you are for such a time as this. Verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. There it is again. Her initial response is, I can't do this. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, listen to her determination. I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, this is a different Esther. This is a redefined Esther. This is not her avoiding, well, if I go before the king, I may die. Here she's saying, I will go before the king. And if I die, okay, so be it. Verse 17, so Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. He did what she asked him to do, invited people to pray and fast and call out to God to intervene and to do what only God can do. This is not necessarily saying that, that we have so much power as humans that we need to intervene and we need to make a difference. It's actually when we acknowledge our weakness and we, we acknowledge our dependence on God, when we surrender and we say, God, we, we, we're praying that you would do what only you can do, that God does his best work. Not when we have our hands on the steering wheel of life and we're in control, but when we say, 
like Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. That God does some of his greatest works in our moments of surrender and letting him have his way. So chapter five, verse one. On the third day, I just love that. On the third day, there's something victorious about the third day. There's something transformative about the third day. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court. She stands up in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther, the music went dun, dun, dun. And he saw her standing in the court. How's he going to respond? He was pleased with her. And he held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. This was the, the welcome. This was the invitation. This was the, oh, you're, you're standing before me. It was either get her out of here. She's uninvited. Or it was a, a welcome invitation. And, and he says, you're welcome here. Now, we'll talk next week about what this means and, and what transpires from here. But, but what we know, what we know is this moment begins the deliverance. As Esther takes initiative, the deliverance of God's people from death and destruction is initiated on the third day. In this moment, Esther goes from passivity to being proactive. She, she goes from being a spectator, just passively watching things happen, to, to taking initiative and, and calling out to God, having God's people call out. And, and we see her going in a redefining moment, not, not just one shining moment, but, but, a, but a series of moments where we see her character developed, where we see her wrestle with the things of life. She has to overcome herself, find the courage to do the right thing despite her past Despite her failures or her fears, she's redefined. She's no longer just young, which necessarily wasn't a value back then. She's not a man. She's a woman with a book of the Bible named after her. That's rare because in that day and age, women didn't have much authority. She's an orphan taken in by her cousin's family. She's, she's beautiful, we know that, but we don't know that any other skill exists. She just has favor because she's pretty. And yet in this redefining moment, something's different. She's different. And she may be just one story. And you may think, I, I, who am I? I'm just one person. I'm just one story. But God loves and cares and wants to work through your story as part of the vision of our church. Part of the vision of our church is we want to see God's hope transform our cities one story at a time. And that, that sometimes is my story. And it's a lot of the time your story, that one story at a time, God helping us find purpose. God helping us to find these redefining moments of our life where we move from being passive spectators, when we move from being apathetic, when we move from being indifferent and our hearts are stirred, we're filled with compassion, we're given courage even in the midst of the chaos to say maybe, just maybe, God can even use me. Maybe, just maybe God has a purpose for us in this world. So when I ask questions like, what are your defining moments? And what are my defining moments? 
are those the things that really matter most to be defined by? Because our, our redefining moments, they may not be when we get what we want. It may be when we get what we really need. Our redefining moments may not be when life gives us what we expected, but when God allows what was necessary. Those redefining moments may not be we finally arrived where we wanted to be. They may be right where we are. God breaks through we surrender and we follow him and our lives are redefined, not because of us, but because of him. It's the show up, stand up, speak up kinds of moments in our lives. Let me, let me talk about those. Show up kind of moments. It's this, you and I, we have to first be available to experience all that God wants to do through us. It's like what the prophet Isaiah said. He, he said to God, here I am, Lord. Here I am, send me. The, the, the showing up kinds of moments is being available. It's realizing this, sometimes in life, your presence matters more than your words. Can I just say, after spending weeks and weeks and weeks, many years ago, in pediatric intensive care units with a daughter sick fighting cancer, often people's presence is way better than their words because people don't know what to say, so they say really weird things. But showing up still matters. Showing up still matters. Some people want to speak up, but they don't want to show up. They want to have a right to say anything. Like that's, that's what social media is about. If we're not careful, we think we have a right to say something about everything, but not even have skin in the game. We want to be, as one of our teaching team members said, keyboard warriors, but we don't want to be kingdom ambassadors. We just want to type a little or but we got to show up. See, this is what Jesus did. What we call Jesus is showing up, leaving heaven to come to earth, the incarnation. God loved us so much. He sent Jesus to earth to show us his love. For, for 30 years, we don't know much about what Jesus did, but here's what we know. He showed up and he showed up in love and that marked everything else. He showed up in love. And our showing up is to be in love. It's to be on behalf of someone, not for our own personal interest. Showing up in love is just being there. It's being a friend who keeps showing up even when you don't feel like it because that's what's needed. It's being faithful in those ways. That's sometimes a defining moment. Sometimes a defining moment is standing up. But before taking a stand, what if we asked who or what are we standing up for? If you were here last week, you, you heard about Queen Vashti. She stood up, she made a stand, but it was all about her. Esther in this moment takes a stand, but it was all about her people. But she had skin in the game. Her life was on the line. When she stood up, she was at risk. But before we stand up in truth, which we're supposed to, we need to first show up in love. This is what Jesus did. Jesus came. He stood up for truth. He stood up for life. He stood up for the sake of hurting people. He stood up with compassion. He stood up against sin and against wickedness. 
but he stood up for truth because he first showed up with love. And if we're going to stand up for truth, it's got to be out of a heart that first shows up with love. It's really easy to just try to say the thing that we feel like is true without first showing up with love, not having any skin in the game. And then thirdly, speaking up. See, we read, if we're not careful, Esther, and we're like, yeah, see, that's what we need to do. Speak up. Just say it. But we've got to be careful. Before we just speak up, it's not just about examining the words. It's about examining the heart behind the words and the spirit from which it comes from. Before Esther ever speaks up on behalf of others, we see in her and Mordecai, they first spoke up to God. It's the same kind of language. They spoke up to God in prayer before they ever spoke up for somebody else. That's why there's calls for fasting and mourning and grieving is because before they would ever presume to speak out for somebody else, they first went to God to make sure their hearts were in the right place, to make sure the words that they were saying would be words that are filled with grace because they're showing up in love and standing up for truth. Their words had to be filled with grace. That's how Jesus speaks up with words of truth in life that are filled with grace. That's why, I, and I love this passage in Colossians chapter four, where the apostle Paul writes these words. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, this is what we're to do. Chapter four of Colossians verse two. If you just take a note, I would love it if you would read this later this week. This is so powerful. If you want to show up, stand up, speak up. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If you want a redefining moment, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Listen to this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul is, is saying, if you want to have a, a redefining kind of moment in, in life, it, it comes from the place where in prayer, you're having your heart transformed. You're, you're having this, uh, this work of God in your life that prepares you to show up, to stand up, to speak up. But so often, and the reason I say that we as Americans are not really good all the time at understanding what a defining moment is, is because a lot of times we think a defining moment is all about me. What did I do? What did I experience? And Paul here in Colossians 4 says, read it, like read it, read the pronouns. It's not I, me, it's we, us, our. So many times a redefining moment, it's not about you and me. It's about us. It's what God is doing in us, not about what I am doing for somebody else. 
So, so often a, a, a redefining moment, it's not just about me at all. It's about God's activity. And, and when you're reading a book like Esther, you got to search for God's activity because his name is not mentioned anywhere. And when you're living in the midst of 2020 right now, a lot of us could say, I don't see the activity of God anywhere. You got to look for it. You got to listen a redefining moment is about what God is doing, not what we're doing. The, the, the world, our world does not need more of us and our opinions. It needs more of Jesus and his power. It, we don't need in our world right now us to be filled with more answers and more arguments. We need to be filled with more of the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and represent Jesus in every way, to, to have the redefining moments ourselves so that we can show up, stand up, speak up for the sake of others. But so many times, if we're not careful, we want to show up, we want to stand up, we want to speak up, but it's all about us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Paul is saying, no, no, you, 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 you've got to, Devote yourselves to prayer. You've got to be redefined yourself before you can redefine anything else in life. Defining moments are often when circumstances are out of our control. And we have to decide, what do I do now? See, we think a, a defining or a redefining moment is when I've got it figured out and when I'm in control and when I'm successful. Most defining moments, redefining moments in life are actually when life is completely out of control and now you have to choose how will you respond to this? Whether that's a diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, uh, you lose your job, the world seems to turn upside down. See, see, those are the kinds of moments where God can do his greatest work in redefining us as we surrender our plans, our dreams, our ambitions to him. It's, it's not about passively enduring. It's not about, I just got to get out of this. I can't wait to get out of this. It's, it's, it's not about wasting the opportunity. It's making the most of the moment. And who knows? Maybe, just maybe, you are, I am, right where we are for such a time as this. And God is wanting to redefine in our lives what really matters. I want to be as like foundationally, uh, honest is the wrong word, but, but like encouraging as I possibly can be. There is only one redefining moment foundationally that is beyond and above whatever all other defining moments. The Bible calls it salvation. And that's the starting point of, of finding our true identity in life. If we really want to know what it means to, to be the best version of ourselves. If we really want to know how to come alive in this life, foundationally, the, the redefining moment beyond, above, whatever, every other defining moment is salvation. And here's what we know. This is the amazing news of scripture that God loves the world so much. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission for me and for you and whoever. That's 
Anybody, whoever would believe in Jesus doesn't have to perish, but has everlasting life. Meaning we can have new life. We go from being spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive. We go from having no hope to having all the hope in the world. We go from being distant from God to being united back to God. How? Not by being good, not by behaving, not by figuring it out, by surrendering our lives to Jesus. Jesus says it this way. Some of his first teachings in the book of Mark, he says that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And and that is a simple invitation where Jesus says repent, meaning turn from yourself. Turn from your own ways of trying to figure out life. Turn from the wrong that you've done, the guilt and shame you carry. Turn from yourself to Jesus. Repent saying, I'm sorry. I need you. Have your way. And when we repent, we turn, we, we will find not that God is pushing us away, but that his arms are wide open. He's inviting us home. Repent and believe. Believe doesn't mean to have all of your questions answered. It means to put your confidence to put your trust into Jesus, even when you don't have all the answers. It's saying, I believe this story is true. I believe Jesus, you have already shown up on my behalf, stood up for truth, spoken up for my life. I believe, I wanna place my confidence in you. Believe the good news. That's, That's the good news that God loves us. He's for us. You don't have to try to go through life on your own. You don't have to carry your shame, sin, worry, pain alone. God wants to carry it for you, but we have to repent and believe. And here's what I think. I I really believe. I believe someone's listening right now, watching right now, and you have been wrestling. You've been putting off this decision. There's a passage in the Bible that says, "Don't, don't put it off. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. And I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. If this today, if it's what's stirring in your heart, if what's, if it's what you're feeling, I want to do that today. I want to ask you to pray with me right now. A very simple prayer. You, if you would just close your eyes and pray this simple prayer, pray, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. It's a prayer of simple surrender. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. I just want you to acknowledge this rest of this prayer. You don't have to pray it word for word, but it, it's, a, it's a prayer that if you acknowledge and it comes from your heart, we just know how God responds, if you pray, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for you to forgive me. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Just say, I trust you. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And then pray this, guide my life. Help me to follow you. In your name, Jesus, amen. And here's what we know. If you pray that prayer from a sincere, authentic heart, a place of surrendering, saying, 
I need you. Help me. Forgive me. I believe in you. You rose. You died and you rose from the dead. Lead me. That Jesus hears that prayer. There, there's no greater redefining moment you could ever experience. And every other truly redefining moment begins there. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate. It is, there's nothing like that. We, we're so excited with you. But we also would love to just send you some information to help you along your journey. You can get your phone out. You can text to the number 94,000, simply believe now. Make it one word, no spaces, believe now to 94,000 so we can send you some information. Or if you're on the chats right now, just put, I believe now. Type it in there, we'll get you some information, but we just wanna let you know, we are so thrilled that some of you right now are making that decision for the first time and we wanna celebrate and help in any way that we can. That is the first and the greatest redefining moment ever. And I also know there's many of you now who you, you would tell me, Aaron, I've made that decision. I have believed. But if you're being really honest, and I, I, I pray that you would be really honest, you would have to admit I need to be redefined. I, I need to tr be transformed again. I, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God fresh. I, I need the love of Jesus to renew my heart because the events of your life, the circumstances of the world, and the year 2020 have messed so many things up. Now, all of those circumstances, they can't take you out of the hand of God, but they can get you distracted in the middle of that. And maybe you need to cry out and surrender, redefine me, God. Because maybe hate, bitterness, worry, anxiety, I don't know, maybe isolation, maybe addiction has so gotten a, a stronghold in your heart. It's hard to even experience joy or hope or peace or Jesus at all. And you need to say, God, please redefine me. Redefine me so that I can be a person who will show up in love for others, stand up in truth for others, speak up with grace for others. But before I can do that for others, redefine me. Would you pray with me right now? We're asking you to redefine us, Jesus, as only you can. We're asking you as we surrender and we pray, help us, Lord. Not to waste this season, but to make the most of this season. But before we can ever show up in love, stand up in truth, speak up with grace, our hearts need to be transformed. Redefine us today. Some of us need to say, God, we're sorry. Sorry for our sin. Sorry for our anger. Sorry for being so distracted by everything else that we've neglected you. And we just want to simply play, pray, redefine me. So that we would be able to look back years and years and years from now 
and say, it wasn't just that that was terrible back in 2020. It was transformative. Jesus met me there. Jesus changed us there. And we would pray, redefine me. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Again, if if that's you, we want to be able to pray with you, celebrate with you. You could just text to the number 94,000, redefine me, all one word. We'll, We'll try to get you some help, some information, pray for you, be with you. But we just want you to know, like, this is so serious. We can't just go through the motions. We can't just try to be stronger. It's to surrender and say, Jesus, do what only you can do. God, be who you can be and then lead us out for the sake of others. Us renewed, redefined out for your glory and for the good of others. And then we can declare like this, we need you here. Meet us here again. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for never giving up us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Meet us here again. We confess we're not enough. And on our own, we can't do anything. But with you, no weapon formed against us will will prosper. With you, nothing can separate us. With you, we may be crushed. We may be uh, hurt, we, we, but we're not abandoned. We're not forsaken. We're not let down. And our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in you, God. And we want to just declare, we need you now more than ever. Meet us here. Again, would you worship with us? Sing this song out as a prayer. Sing it as a declaration or just let the words be sung over you. We need you, Jesus, now more than ever. Meet us here in this right now. Meet us here again, Jesus. That's our prayer. Let's make it a prayer now.